Hello, I am Danielle, your host here at the Crying in My Cheesecake podcast. If you're new here, welcome. I'm excited to be in your ears. Whether you're a veteran listener or a new listener, I'd love to see where you're listening from. Would you take a screenshot or take a picture of where you're listening to the podcast and post it online and tag me at Crying in My Cheesecake? I can't wait to see. If you follow me on social media, which you should, you're going to see some changes coming this month. I have asked Tatum Brandt of the Brandt Creative Co. to rebrand me to more match what I'm actually doing and just where my brand is going and so forth. So Tatum and her team have seen my vision and they have got, they've really got some great work coming. And I cannot wait to share that with you either. I'm finally caught up on my assignments for the Nutritional Therapy Association. Never before in my life have I been so overwhelmed, so excited, so humbled and learning so much all at the same time. The amount of information I'm learning and then able to actually apply in real life in real culture is just, it's mind blowing. I cannot wait to start sharing more about that as well and what the um, what this nutritional therapy practitioner qualification, what it will entail and what it will look like in the future for crying to my cheesecake. Gosh, I'm so excited. Something else that will be happening this month is that I'll be dropping some merchandise. Um, <laughs> this seems so weird. It's surreal. For my listeners and my followers outside of the States, you too will be able to make purchases as um, I, it will have international shipping. Now, I'm not sure with COVID and customs and things how long it will take, but for sure there will be international shipping available. Another rollout um, during this first quarter of 2021 is that I'll be offering nutrition services um, at tiered levels. By offering tiered levels, it is my hope that I can reach a wider audience to help support more people with science-based nutrition support. Now, this will also be available internationally as well, but this is just the first step that I'm making to make sure that I can, that there's access to science-based nutrition at every level. So this is just the first level, the first rollout of creating that opportunity for everyone at every budget. There's a lot coming in 2021 for the Crying in My Cheesecake brand, and I can't wait for all of you to see it, and I cannot wait for it to all come to fruition. And it sure seems like I just need to dream a little bit bigger, doesn't it? I think that is it for my announcements, and today's episode is all about the dangers of dieting culture, and it's going to be some controversial words. So if you enjoy this episode, I would really greatly appreciate you leaving me um, a five-star rating and leaving me a review. All right, here we go. A few weeks ago, the magazine company Cosmopolitan, or Cosmos, I grew up knowing it to be, had a cover of a woman on the front celebrating body positivity. Now, body positivity um, started, I believe, as this movement where um, we were just proud of what our body can do. We were proud of how it can function and and just that we could be strong. and, And somehow, like everything everything, at least as of late, everything shifts to extremes. So this woman or this image was a young woman on the front cover. She was gorgeous. She was pretty. She was clearly airbrushed, but she was just pretty. And she looked like she was just so full of joy and happy. A huge grin, a smile, a lot of teeth showing, all of that on this page. She had vibrant colors that she was wearing. She looked comfortable in her skin, but she was also very clearly obese. Now, Obesity is defined as having a BMI of 30 or greater. There is some controversy about BMI and how 
what it represents and all of that kind of thing and how it was created when it was created. And I get that. But BMI is one of the few indicators that we have, along with blood work and lifestyle and so forth, of someone's future health in the long run. Obesity is defined as having a BMI of 30 or greater. Obesity is not something to be ashamed of, but more so it is something to understand as a sign of a person being unwell. Obesity isn't something to be ashamed of, but more so it is something to understand as a sign of a person being unwell. Obesity is not meant to be celebrated. So here I am. If you don't know me, um, most of my life I have been obese most of my life. Only a few years here and there, and part of those years were when I was a baby, a few years here and there have I not been a BMI of 30 or greater. So I know firsthand what it's like, okay? So I don't want you to think that I'm coming out here, you know, in a way of, of condemning or shaming. I am here to bring the reality, the, the facts about obesity. This is meant to help people be seen, help people be known, but also to give a different perspective of what body positivity and dieting culture is actually doing to our lives, okay? We know obesity and being overweight is caused by eating too much food, right? Now that's obvious. Sometimes people are overweight due to a medical condition that causes it, but they're usually, okay, not usually, they are under stringent medical care a lot of time. If usually when there are children, their parents and the child is at the hospital in the clinics and all of those things often, it is usually some kind of genetic DNA level issue. When I say that some people have medical conditions that cause them to be overweight and struggle with obesity, I'm not talking about people that have type 2 diabetes or heart disease or high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high triglycerides. These are things that are completely preventable. Type 2 diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high triglycerides. These are diseases of civilization and they are preventable. It is proven over and over and over again that you can reverse and prevent these things from happening. So you ask, how do we get here where we are celebrating the bodies that have obesity and are on track for these diseases of civilization? How did we get to a place where we are putting obesity on display as a major, on a major magazine cover? Normalizing something that isn't normal is a cause for a death sentence. Normalizing something that isn't normal is a cause for a death sentence. What they're trying to do is normalize something that's common, but what's common is not always normal. Our bodies were not created to be overweight or obese. And I think about that graphic that I've shared a few times on my own social media, and I've seen it around the internet a few times too, that it's showing someone being big boned or identified as big boned. So it's this picture of a skeleton that actually has like super wide bones that essentially makes it look like the person is large, right? Like carrying extra weight. Were you called big boned as a child or as an adult? Or do you call someone in your family or realm of influence big boned? Our bones aren't holding excess adipose. I hate to tell you. Our bones are holding a lot of minerals and nutrients and things like that, but they are not holding excess adipose. And adipose is the technical term for fat. It's the tissues on the outside of our body that are not appropriately in proportion to our bones. So being big boned 
the dieting culture and things of body positivity and not shaming when we allow that big boned mentality to come out we're thinking and you know clearly that person's not big boned big boned people like typically big boned people are ones that have like really long femurs really long um arms and you know things like that so really long legs like that you can say oh that they've got long bones totally cool that's genetic but actually having big bones that cause you to carry excess adipose that is a lie When I see obesity, I see someone with underlying issues that led them to numbing their pain with food. It could be emotional pain, like not being seen or valued as a child. So when when they're not being seen or valued in their adulthood, they revert back to their childhood coping mechanism of eating to numb. Maybe it's mental anguish, a person that could be dealing with anxiety, depression, PTSD, or something else. In order to numb that anguish, they run to food as their substance of choice. Now, I have clients who struggle with physical pain as a trigger to run to the kitchen. There's always a story behind it. There's always a story why someone goes to the kitchen or goes to the drive-thru as a response to pain. Maybe a person was in an accident for physical for physical pain trigger. Maybe that person was in an accident and was fed as a means of showing that they were loved and cared for instead of with words and encouragement and time and playing games with the person while they healed. Maybe the person is bored and they're forced to sit with their thoughts as their bodies need physical rest to heal. And I can tell you that I struggle with that one. Pain is a massive trigger for people to overeat because it is an addiction at that point. You know, I work with a lot of men too, and I have men who claim they're not emotional. But let me be the first to tell you, as a former middle school teacher, boys and the male gender are some of the most emotional beings I know. And I secretly love watching little boys turn into young men, learning how to handle their feelings within their cultural norm. And the thing is that men will tell me they're not emotional, but then they talk about boredom or they talk about motivation. And then I smile. And depending on the personality of the gentleman I'm working with, I'll laugh because somewhere along the way, they have disassociated the terms boredom and motivation with emotions. Somewhere along the way, boredom and motivation are acceptable excuses as to why we cannot control ourselves. I end up laughing or smiling because again, depending on the personality of the gentleman, I'll chide them and say, well, just so you know, you are no better than that woman you laugh at because you're being controlled by emotions such as boredom and motivation as they are emotions. I usually get a laugh out of them, but then we go back and talk about that why that disassociation why did they disassociate with those two terms as emotional and where did they learn this what thought process gave them the opportunity or gave them an out of not being self-controlled around food in all aspects of life we discuss how emotions are fleeting and we cannot rely on them to tell us the truth putting a person on a magazine cover and calling it body positivity is simply a marketing scheme It's a marketing scheme that is actually trying to normalize something that was never meant to be normalized. Being obese or overweight is something to be recognized, but it's not something to be celebrated. Let me break this down a little bit more by discussing dieting culture and how it is damaging our image of wellness and our access to wellness. First of all, we have an addiction to sugar and processed foods, highly palatable foods, all of that anywhere in the United States. We don't think twice about going into a Starbucks, grabbing a drink with more caffeine than we need in a single day and more sugar than we need in a day, let alone that processed muffin or cookie or cake pop or something else in the name of a quote unquote treat that we get ourselves. 
A typical Starbucks visit can easily accumulate up to 700 calories or more, depending on what you order. Some people do this multiple times a day, not even thinking. And also some people do it with kids in tow and the kids want exactly the same that mom has. I am one of those people who can't simply go into a Subway. You know, those quote, healthier fast food places like Subway, um, Jimmy John's and all of those, all those other kinds of places like that. I can finish a 12 inch or foot long sub sandwich and still think I am hungry. I know in my mind that I've had plenty of calories. I shouldn't be hungry, but I still think I'm hungry. I can go to McDonald's and order, order a double quarter pounder with cheese and a large fry and a Diet Coke and still think I'm hungry, even though I've had more than enough calories for the day in that meal. Why is that? It's the, the processed foods at these places are created to be highly palatable. They create a craving within us. It gives us a dopamine rush in the brain of satisfaction with that flavor. And it gives us energy. I mean, it does give you energy. It gives you the calories. It gives us the ease of taking the easy way out. Have you ever heard yourself say or heard people say, I have to eat fast food because I don't have time to shop or make dinners or fill in the blank. These foods aren't inherently bad on their own and can be worked into your diet, but why would you? Why would you allow yourself to continue to eat the drug that your body is craving? Why would you think your addiction to highly processed foods is no big deal and yet you'll judge the alcoholic or the drug addict or the sex addict? Funny note here, you judge one of those addictions, you need to hold yourself accountable to that too. And I had a a wide awakening to this um, a few years ago because those addictions hit the exact same receptors in the brain as your daily drive-through or as your tempted Starbucks or as whatever it is. So why is it in culture that we demonize certain addictions to anything and everything else, right? We demonize all these addictions, but not food. Why is it in culture we demonize addictions to anything and everything but not food. Why is it we complain about high medical bills and we do nothing about the root reason as to why we have those medical bills anyway? Why is it that we talk about the babies born to drug addicted moms, but not the mother who needs the support? Why is it that we talk about addictions and never talk about the root cause of the addictions? I would wager to say it's because we can push it away. We can push away those, the quote unquote outcasts. Those are things that they can quote unquote stop. But if we take a deeper look, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute too, but if we step in and take a deeper look, the root causes of addictions can be abuse, neglect, self-harm, can be depression. There are things in this world that have broken us. And so addictions come in that place that want to fulfill and numb and hide and just continue to push off the reality and the actual pain that's happening. So we push all that off and we celebrate obesity as body positivity because dieting culture says now that's okay. As long as I, my blood work comes back fine, cool. As long as I can lift heavy weights or look pretty or what have you, cool. But dieting culture also hurts us and damages us because of marketing. If you're a female, you've been conditioned since a little girl at your mama's side at the checkout counter, looking at magazines telling you how to diet, what to eat, how to shrink your body, how to look, behave, how to have a sexual appeal for your man, how to have perfect house, make the best meals and more. 
You can easily deduce that in order to be a perfect woman, you must be 5 foot 10, around 145 pounds, wear heels, skanky clothing that draws not only your husband's eye, but every husband's eyes, be able to fit any size of clothing under size 10, you're perfect, and must have gourmet meals prepared at every meal of the day, every night of the week. And that's just the magazines. This isn't even your Avon gal selling you anti-aging creams and serums to your mom and your and grandma and you're flipping through those catalogs or sitting next to the nightstand or the, the end table. And then when your friend from high school, hey girls, you in your inbox and you're afraid to even respond because you know she's essentially calling you fat even if she doesn't say it, but there's this healthy shake she wants you to try and to work out seven days a week with no rest and it's changed her life. So obviously it'll change yours. Except if you look at her, her skin is ashing or graying out. She's got major lines and wrinkles on her face that's aging quickly. She's not sleeping. She's got bags under her eyes, yet she doesn't miss a workout, and that super shake is going to fix it all. So it's going to fix you. There are people that are always going to try to sell you on everything in the nutritional and wellness realm. You'll see the dieting protocols, the templates, the macros, the calorie counting, the points counting, the intermittent fasting, paleo, um, keto, Whole30, vegans. Everyone has an opinion. Like my husband says, I'm going to say it a little kinder than he says, but everyone's got an anus, so everyone has an opinion. Everyone thinks they know what's right because something worked for their friend or worked for them once. What does worked for even mean? We need to redefine what worked for us actually means. Worked for us usually means when I was 25, I just stopped drinking soda and that worked for me. Or keto worked for me and I lost 100 pounds this past year. But these are simple examples that I'm using to bring around a hard truth here. Worked for, in most people's context means, it made them lose weight. That's it. When we say something worked for us, I'm talking nutritionally and in the fitness realm, when we say something worked for us, in most people's context, it means it made them lose weight. And that is it. Worked for in their context doesn't mean that they ate a balanced diet that focuses on digestion, blood sugar regulation, properly prepared nutrient-dense foods, gut health, microbiome, the hydration, the mineral balance, the fatty acids, actually making food work for them. No, they have this mindset of everything must be weight loss. Healthy is connected to weight loss and not anything else. Now, weight loss absolutely is a starting point for many people who are overweight or obese. Sure, you fit into better pant sizes. Sure, you can move more. Sure, you have a better quality of life, probably. Sure, losing weight could get you off some medicines and things. But my question is, then what? Then what? You see, if the focus is always on weight loss, we don't think about actual fat loss, first of all. We don't want to lose muscle mass because losing muscle mass will cause us to become dependent on others as we age. Most people who lose weight want to be independent forever and not rely on others in the near future. In the episode before this, I shared about some of um, some ways of spotting fad dieting companies. These companies have massive marketing firms working with them and for them, and their campaigns are always appealing. Like, quite frankly, it catches my eye sometimes. They're always showing before and afters. I know a lot of clients who have come to me hurt by these companies that are very popular right now that show before and afters all the time. And I didn't realize actually what was happening until these clients of mine started speaking to me and telling me that they were eating 600 to 800 calories a day. Let me repeat that. My clients came to me eating 600 to 800 calories a day. First of all, it's no wonder they had a massive and fast weight loss. 
I just, I just said weight loss. These people were eating in a massive caloric deficit, forced to take a company's vitamins, minerals, electrolytes, eating the company's foods, eat off of a good and bad list, and weren't allowed to work out. What? This type of dieting protocol should only, and I repeat, only be done under the supervision of a doctor. And for crying out loud, most of you know, I love to watch Dr. Now on the My 600 Pound Life show. He makes his morbidly obese patients, whom he's in contact with in a very intensive program, eat 1,200 calories a day. 1,200 calories to lose weight, not 600 or 800. It is 1,200 calories for them to lose weight so that they can get be safe to go under surgery. Now, 1,200 calories is not a maintenance number either for most people. If t- I don't know how 1,200 calories got like this magical thing, um, but 1,200 calories is like what deems or people deem that women should be eating or men should be eating if they want to lose weight and whatnot. Now, sometimes 1,200 calories is appropriate for a, a caloric deficit. Totally fine. 600 to 800? That's less than a toddler eats. And I'm sorry, you have more life than a toddler. You have more life to live and more responsibilities than a toddler does. I've even had a few clients have to have organs removed due to their bodies unable to recover from the trauma of these programs. And then they come to me and I have to help them reintroduce them and create a new relationship with food. I'm only sharing this because this is all to say that marketing is meant to make you feel like you're missing out on something. It is to make a reason for you to buy a product or buy into the product, which leads me to my third thought here. Befores and afters are a lie. When you see the before and afters and then you believe them, you are perpetuating the culture that once you hit the after, then you're done. I use the terminology with my clients after the after. Dieting to a healthy weight is hard and staying at a healthy weight is even harder. That's when the real work actually happens. This is where companies know that they lack and they do it on purpose because it keeps you paying them forever, hoping that you'll cycle back to them because their program is what worked. Success is found in the maintenance of life. If you're being consistent, working with a professional network or a professional team of people that can teach you what that looks like, they should be able to set you free. It's funny because my clients will freak out when I tell them uh, like they need to start thinking about offboarding with me and what that's going to look like and how that goes. And, but, and, it's, and they freak out because they're so used to having to be, quote unquote, on a diet forever or forever with a company. And one of my current clients puts it this way. She, she actually sent me this message the other day and she helped me to kind of put my mind around this episode. And she says, I love, love, love your posts when you share your before and after pictures. I swear last time you did, another friend of mine shared hers the same day on Facebook. The difference in hers is that hers were all about losing 100 pounds and what her body has accomplished in that. Yours, though, was about look at how my body has changed shape and you had your weights in the background and you referred to the work you've put into in and made it about strength and not about pounds. I love that perspective because that's what maintenance looks like. My success as a nutritional counselor lies in how well I've taught my clients so that he or she can offboard and live life without me. They don't need me holding their hand forever. They don't need um, an allegiance to me or my company or my brand. That doesn't mean that my clients won't come back. But that's because there may be an underlying issue that we didn't have the opportunity to address. Think of it like going to a therapist as a touch-up appointment. That's what we do here at Crown of My Cheesecake. The goal is sustainability always, no matter what life throws at my clients. 
which takes me to my next point. Weight loss is the focus of so many people's journey to wellness. And I actually struggle with saying the word journey because how many people do you see posting or talking about how their weight loss, about their weight loss journey? And how hard is it for you to not roll your eyes? Or is that just me? Can we all just agree that we're on a journey called life? We encourage people so much when they're losing weight. We have this idea or notion in our mind that we can overstep boundaries by asking someone how much they've lost. Or we'll say, wow, are you losing weight? Or after someone has found out that you've lost some weight in some way, good, let's keep going. Uh, what? What is that? Why is it okay to tell someone keep going? Why is it acceptable to have a comment on someone's body that you do not have permission to speak on? When we talk to someone like that and say, good, keep going, we're actually passing judgment on that person's body. Hello. They know they have excess adipose on their bodies. They see it in the mirror every day. They see it when their pants get too tight or the way that they look versus other people. They see it. We don't need people to point it out. I mean, we have OBGYNs that do that for us anyway, right? Can I get an amen? If someone is an emotional eater, and knows that that is a trigger, that is a trigger of theirs, those kinds of comments can actually lead a person to emotionally eat. Now, I'm not saying that the person is forcing them, that makes these comments is forcing them to, but that is like leading someone astray and tempting someone. We should not be doing that. We should be encouraging people and maybe body talk should be off limits unless that person has given you permission to speak into it. This attitude here of the way that people conduct themselves around those who have lost weight is actually a case for why we don't have a weight loss problem. We don't have a weight loss problem, but we have a weight maintenance problem. With my clients, I teach them from week one basic habits and steps that must always be in place in order to stay at maintenance and not go back to where you once were. But the problem is that maintenance is harder because suddenly no one cares. No one cares anymore. Everyone is cheering you on in the grandstands as you're making great changes that are being reflected in your body and shape and size. But once you're done making changes, then that cheering section goes home. It's as if game time is over. That was the ninth inning done. Just like when a woman is pregnant. In my experience and those who have confided in me their stories, pregnancy generates a lot of attention and support and people coming out of the woodwork to cheer you on. But after that baby comes out and starts acting like a baby who won't sleep and the mom is just dead tired, that cheering section goes home. Crickets. Dieting culture perpetuates body positivity in a detrimental light, fat shaming with comments that are actually not our business. And dieting culture also creates a lot of band-aids of marketing ploys of what worked. I encourage you to think about a few things. One, if you're a person who needs to lose excess adipose, are you really ready? Or are you looking for another marketing ploy or scheme that gives you an excuse to cycle back to quote unquote what worked, meaning that they'll make more money off of you over time? keeping you in their pocketbook. You know, I recently saw a post the other day that I saw um, someone of my friends uh, on the timeline post, I'm sharing this for a friend. Would you be willing to take gummies if it helped your metabolism lose fat, blah, blah, blah. A gummy, a gummy is not going to fix your problem. A chocolate goo on a spoon is not going to fix your problem. A template handed to you of what to eat and what not to eat, that is not going to work for you. That is not going to fix you. Will it work for the intended purpose of weight loss? Absolutely. Well, I don't know about the gummy and the goo. A template may work for weight loss, but what happens when life happens? What happens when that company goes out of business and you can't buy their food anymore? 
what happens when the government cracks down on these places that are actually causing more problems. Second thing, I want you to think about this. If you are ready, start searching for someone who can truly handle all that you hold beneath that excess weight. This may be a nutritional counselor like me, or it may be heading to the bariatric center to get therapy support there. That's what they're there for. They actually have a whole team of people there to support you to keep you from having to have surgery. Surgery is a tool. Only 5% of bariatric patients keep that weight off. Why? Because they went for a Band-Aid. They didn't do the work to keep it off because the weight loss is the glory. Everyone's there cheering you on. But that maintenance, you are there in the brinks of the, of the battlefield by yourself. And there's every temptation called easy out there. There is everything. And if you don't have the right people there in your corner, I don't care what methodology you use to lose weight, you are not going to keep it off. Third thing, if you're someone who loves to lose weight because it makes you feel good, simply because of the comments about your weight loss, ask yourself why you need those compliments for the weight loss. Why? Who are you doing it for actually? Is it for you? Is it for your longevity? Do you even see value in yourself? Do you even see that, that the weight loss thing is for you, not anybody else? We're supposed to steward our bodies well, not because of comments or compliments or things like that. If you're someone who comments on someone else's weight loss, you better be ready to compliment them during the hardest time called weight maintenance at no matter what size that person is. And the fifth thing I want you to think about is to remember after the after is what matters, not the before and after. And finally, don't sell yourself short thinking food addiction can be easily beat with a template, a shake, a pill, a bariatric surgery, a weight loss clinic, or more. It requires a lot of support systems in place that are actual support systems and not enablers, not excusers, not companies making a profit off of you or abusers. Food addiction is not just about quitting food because you can't quit food. Kicking food addiction is about healing from the inside out. You do get to not be a dieter forever. You do get a fair shake at healing because you are important to far too many people to let yourself go to the grave believing lies. Did you know that you can buy me a virtual coffee as a way to say thank you for this content? You can click on the show notes or go to buymeacoffee.com slash CIMC. subscribe, and leave me a five-star rating. I'd appreciate any positive reviews. Thanks.